understand it. Some of them, obviously, it looked like they needed to study more. But one of the greatest sermons that can ever be preached comes from the testimony of life that we live. Amen? We have in our midst uh, a young man that has come our way, and uh, he was, uh, he and I were visiting this week, and I asked him, I said, would you be willing to share your testimony with our church? And uh, like a like a hungry dog going for meat, he said, boy, you bet I will. <laughs> and so I've kind of given him some perimeters on time, but we'll see what the Lord does with that, okay? Trey Damon is going to come right now, and Trey has a testimony he wants to share with you. And uh, if God takes you longer than our time we talked about, don't worry about it. I'll adjust my time. Trey, come on up and share with us, and I think you'll be touched and blessed today. You need a microphone? Yeah, um, like you said, uh, you asked me to want to share with you guys uh, today little bit of my story and um, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Um, it's about a, a little over a year ago. Um, I came into my life, you know, just where I was was pretty dark, pretty dark spot. Um, I just, uh, I had kind of come to a point in my life where I, I didn't really think that I needed anything else but myself to be in control of everything I was doing. I mean, I was I was in control, you know, and everything was uh, kind of what it was. And, um, and it's kind of funny because I had grown up around around God, and uh, and I had uh, I had experienced pain, and. Uh, and we've all experienced pain. Um, the pain I felt, I, I just, I just blamed, you know, I blamed the world for it. Um, I blamed, I did blame God some, but I didn't really see God in it. Um, I just kind of thought that this is the way it is, so it's up to me to, to, uh, to live this life, and, and I'm in control, and, and I can make the best of it, and, and I was wrong. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I had been military. I, I had grown up here in Jinx, Oklahoma. Um, had a good family, um, but but I did have some bad things happen to me, just like we all do. Um, what I did with those bad things that happened to me, um, I hid them in drugs and alcohol, and I, I turned to those to that, and uh, and it took me. It took me to even a darker spot. Um, my solution was not a solution at all. Um, it was it was it was a lie. My solution was a lie. Um, you know, I uh, I got so sick that I didn't even know I was sick anymore. And uh, you know, that's a scary spot to be. Um, well, what's what's amazing about being here today is I'm a product of God's pursuit. You see, you know, they say God's always with you, even in bad times. And it's so true. And I, and I think if God's always with us, that, that means God's pursuing us. 
I mean, the fact that he's with us at all, all the time, I mean, and he pursued me everywhere. And, uh, you know, there's two guys that I'm so grateful for that um, one of them had experienced some of the same solution that I did and uh, found it wasn't a solution, and he found an, another solution. He found um, a power greater than himself through a program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, he brought that to me. And uh, with the help of another friend, they both came to me and they said, man, you got to get out of the way and get some help. And, uh, and I didn't like that at first at all. I was mad. Um, and they told me I got uh, to find a higher power, you know. And I, and I was like, well, I, I know about God. He's like, no, you, you got to let him in your life. And uh, that, so they told me I need to pray. And, and it's amazing that um, Alcoholics Anonymous is not really a religious program. I mean, it's not, but the, the number one ingredient there, the number one thing to do is to, um, they ask, you know, is to find a higher power. They tell you, this is the number one thing you're going to have to do is find a higher power, and then you can, you can beat this. You can beat these addictions. You can beat these things. And uh, so, you know, I had to learn to pray. Um, and, and one of the things was that I wasn't, it wasn't my routine. I had to change a little bit of my routine. And um, I had a hard time sometimes remembering to do it. And so one guy told me one time, he's like, hey, just put your keys under your bed at night. Um, and when you're on your knees putting them under there, go ahead and pray. And, uh, you know, um, I did that. And, and, like, the next day I would be, like, stressed out in the morning trying to make it to work. Like, where's my keys? You know? And uh, then I'd be like, oh, God, that's right. I put them under my bed. And while I'm under there getting them, um, I'm on my knees again. So I could remember to pray and say, God, keep me sober today. And uh, it's amazing that, you know, God pursued me. And once, you know, I started to find and, and start praying for a desire to have him and praying for, um, for him to keep me sober and just starting to have a daily relationship with him. Um, that led him in my heart. And, uh, you know, my heart was broken because of the pain that I had. And my solution was not a solution. Um, once I opened my heart and started seeing by, by listening to the stories that, that God gives us in the Bible through Jesus. I mean, I, I was reading this book recently and it talked about why Jesus talked to us in stories, you know, through parables. Um, and the guy's opinion on that matter was he talks to us in stories because stories speak to the heart because they come from the heart. And, and that's why things like testimonies are so powerful because it comes from the heart. Um, you know, I, I go to, I still go to AA. I'm, I'm grateful to this day for that program because I have a chance to share my courage, strength, and hope with other alcoholics and that, you know, people who are suffering that, are, that have pain. It's my way to give back. And that's why when he asked me if I would want to share my testimony, it's, it's an honor to be able to do it um, because it just opens up my heart to God even more whenever I can share my experience um, with other people. And, uh, and, and if anyone you know, ever has any questions about what my pain was, I'd be more than willing to share it. Um, we've, all had, we've all had similar. Um, some struggle more than others. But um, I truly believe that, that God doesn't give us more than we can handle and that uh, he always gives us a way out. And, um, and he's always pursuing us. And uh, with that, I'll hand it over. Amen. Awesome. Awesome.
I know that uh, Trey would also let you know that if you have somebody that you love that's struggling and uh, they're in that same position, he'd love to have the chance to visit with them on a, to help you work with them. So uh, that's how you recover, is if you have gone through something in life, and it may be alcoholism, it may be drug addiction, it may be the loss of a loved one, when someone else faces that, that's your shot. It's your time to let God use you to minister to them. Are you with me on that? If you've had a heart attack and overcome or cancer and you're, you're, you're still there, hey, that's we got to turn around and share that with other people. Thank you, brother. That was awesome. You want to introduce your guest with you this morning? Hi, Floyd. Glad you're here. Glad you're here this morning. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can save lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul, and take us out of addictions. <laughs> and uh, here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, speak to me today. In, in Jesus' name. Amen. High five, pound your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. Turn to the other neighbor and say, and you're a little bit shaky. No. <laughs> no, not true. Not true. Well, don't, don't attack them back there, brother. Oh, separating them, I said. Well, they're leaning on each other, mutual lean over there. Steve Burnham told me when we got our chairs, he said, man, I'm so glad these, the tops of these are padded now. I can sleep better. <laughs> so, so if I see some of you dipping this morning, just remember, lean forward. We'll, we'll think you're at a posture of prayer. There's a story about an angel that um, showed up at a seminary faculty meeting in order to honor the dean this group was uh, meeting. And uh, the man had been unselfish and had shown exemplary behavior. And the angel said, that God had decided to reward him with his choice of one of three things, limitless wealth, infinite wisdom, or unmatched beauty. So the entire staff being there, the dean asked for their advice. To a man, they quickly agreed that infinite wisdom was the best choice. So the dean chose to become the wisest man on earth. Done, says the angel, and off in a cloud of smoke, he disappears. Every head in the room turned to the dean. He sat perfectly still, surrounded by this faint halo of light. Each colleague whispered, say something. They were all anxious to hear what the wisest man in the world would say first and what wisdom would he give first? Very slowly, carefully, and with certainty, the man said, I should have taken the money. <laughs> with all that newfound wisdom, he finally realized and first realized that he had taken some bad advice. It's a warning people have understood for centuries. Some advice needs to be taken with a grain of salt. You ever wondered where that phrase came from? It's uh, uh, In ancient times, salt was hard to come by. 
And it was very expensive, and it was considered a even a form of medicine. And so in Latin, folks warned that some council needed cum grano salis. In other words, some advice might not be the healthiest around. And so it was better to keep the medicine on hand just in case. If you live long enough, you'll receive counsel. You'll receive advice. And some of that advice will be worth listening to, and some of it will not be worth listening to. You'll have to determine what the keepers of advice are, and the advice is good medicine and the counsel that might make you sick. But today I want to give you six questions to ask when you receive human counsel. Number one, is it biblical? Is it biblical? In order to discern wise counsel, you must first know the Bible. This book will never let you down. The only problem I've ever had with AA is that they never name the higher power. They will tell you, find a higher power. Well, that could be your truck. You know, I mean, give me a definition of what that is. You see, because whenever you stop one habit, you have to fill the void with something else. This, my friend, is the best filler of all kind and, and, and of any kind right here. So you've got to know the Word of God. Job's friends said in Job 5.27, We have examined this and it is true. But how do you know that another man's advice or his examinations have turned up the truth? Only if you've spent a lifetime examining the word of truth. Can you ever really know if that truth or those, those advices are of any value? Hebrews 4.12 describes the Word of God as a double-edged sword capable of penetrating to the deepest places and judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I can look good on the outside, but is the Lord convinced on the inside? Like Trey said, he floated for years just looking, looking good. But something's dying in here. There's others of you that I'm going to call on to share your testimonies so, over the next few weeks. I hope that you will. Because you've got a testimony to share. And folks, we need to hear from each other about the power of God's recovery and restoration and reconciliation. And you might, you might be sitting there and you're listening to Trey this morning and say, you know, well, I've never struggled with that. Boy, praise God. <laughs> I don't want you to become a drunk just so you can say, boy, look what I overcame. No. There's a powerful testimony in being able to say no to it from, from day one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Cindy's got a sister. Not, not a more godly family, Cindy's mom and dad, not a more godly people, but she had a sister just older than her. She's been recovered now for 13 years. That's awesome. It's awesome. She's my age. And she looks older than me, though. She's had a rough life. She was that kind that would sneak out at night and be gone. And the boy, alcohol really got her. But she's been clean for 13 years. And she prays. Well, she's got these long fingernails. It's amazing. 
I guess she's gone from drinking to growing fingernails. I don't know. But it's, it's amazing. And, and she has a testimony. And we really need to hear that testimony. We need to hear how God does these things in people's lives when you focus on the Lord. Personal observation and personal opinions do not necessarily equal foolproof counsel. Everybody ever tell you, well, my opinion is. And, but they want you to believe that opinion is it. <laughs> Your opinion is only binding on who? You. That's your opinion. You've heard me say before, this is my opinion binding on me and no one else. Because if you are waiting for me to tell you what the Bible says, I, what I'm going to do as a teacher is I'm going to give you all the things it could say, and then I want you to study and figure out what it says to you. Now, I could stand up here and tell you exactly what it says, and if you don't follow what I tell you to do, then you're out. Hey, there's a lot of preachers running loose like that now. But I don't want to be that kind of a preacher. I want to be the preacher that kind of gives you everything that's here. Here's what the world says. Here's what God says. Here's what this guy says. Here's what this guy says. Here's nine. Five. No, just tell me, preacher, what does it say? I may, I may channel some of that, but I don't want to ever tell you, here's exactly what it has to say, and you've got to believe this or else. Because that's a cult. That's not a church. So, let's go here, right? This will never lead us astray. This will always be our helper. If you had been around on the British coast in 1845, you might have seen two ships boarded by 138 of England's finest sailors setting sail for the Arctic. The task they had in hand was to chart the Northwest Passage around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. The captain of the ship, Sir John Franklin, hoped this effort would be the turning point in Arctic exploration. History shows that it was not because of its success, but because of its failure. Neither ship ever returned. Every crew member perished, and all those who followed in the expedition's path to the pole learned this lesson if you're going to take such a journey, prepare for it. Prepare for it. Captain Franklin didn't prepare. Though the voyage was projected to last two or three years, he only carried 12 days' supply of coal to, for the auxiliary steam engines. But what he lacked in fuel, he made up for in entertainment. Each ship carried more than 1,200 books, a hand organ, china place settings for officers and men, expensive wine goblets, and sterling silver flatware. And you've got to wonder, what was the crew planning? An Arctic expedition or a Caribbean cruise? And judging from the supplies, you would have to think a Caribbean cruise. So the sailors carried no special clothing to protect themselves against the cold, their uniforms looked noble and respectful, but they were woefully inadequate for the task at hand. The ornate silver knives, forks, and spoons would be found near a clump of frozen, cannibalized bodies. Seems strange how men could embark on such a journey so ill-prepared. And yet the vast majority of Christians seem to be on that same kind of journey in life, not taking advantage of the counsel of the word but on what each of us tell each other is it biblical is it biblical secondly is it factual is it factual 
Job had a couple of friends that, sh that would show up occasionally. In chapter 11, verse 14, Zophar urged Job to put away the sin that, that was at his hand and to allow no evil to dwell in his tent. Zophar couldn't look at Job's condition without assuming that Job had sinned. You ever, ever have people do that to you? Well, what have you done wrong? God's after you. God's out to punish you. Maybe you've given that kind of advice. Eliphaz, another friend, shows up to share some wonderful counsel in, in, in chapter uh, 4 and verse 8. Those who sow trouble, reap it. <laughs> well, you're just getting paid back for what you, how you've lived. God, He knows. He's taking, he's taking note up there. Boy, in His book, He's got you. And now He's fixing to drop the hammer. Right? But the facts didn't support their observation. God had called Job in chapter 1 and verse 8 blameless and upright. God bragged on how well Job, his faithful servant, had been living. The suffering that followed was the toughest test of Job's life. Not the punishment for his worst sin. That's Satan's lie to you and me. And when we make a mistake... Satan is quick to remind us of our past. Found this quote. Don't know who. I've got a researcher who put the quote out there. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Are you with me? So we can smile at that dude when he's telling us how worthless we are. Point to the cross. Daytime. Here's when I drew my line in the sand. Uh-huh. Eliphaz and Zophar, their counsel simply just missed the mark. It was not factual. In the history of the early church, Acts chapter 15 uh, reports that a dispute arose between the early church leaders. So many non-Jewish people were becoming Christians. There was confusion over which Jewish laws should be binding on non-Jewish believers. The leaders of the church held a meeting, Peter and Paul and the other surviving apostles met in Jerusalem for a council and they heard the case, sorted out the facts, and they gave a decision that seemed to please the whole group. Careful attention must be paid to the factual information behind any council. If I have construction needs, I'm going to go find somebody that has knowledge of construction to help me, give me counsel about it. I'm not going to find a financial planner to tell me how to build something, especially today. What do they know? What do they know? And we're learning on a global scale what our parents told us years and years ago when we were growing up. You can't throw money at problems and they go away. Woo, God, I got silent in here all of a sudden. You can't throw money at problems and they go away. I don't, I don't care what party affiliation you carry. That has nothing to do with it. Because they're all guilty of throwing it. I love what I heard one guy say the other day. He said, the oil's in Texas, but all the dipsticks are in Washington. <laughs> that might be the best line of the day. Amen. <laughs> Slow down. Check the facts. Is it factual? Number three, is it necessary? And the big picture, did Job really need such long debate in his hour of greatest crisis was it really necessary for his wife 
to jump in and add to the man's problems when she unleashes her own grief-stricken anger against him? Couldn't they just have grieved together in silence? Indeed, wise counsel to use very few words when someone is around you is hurting is probably the best counsel. Few words, not a bunch of words. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. The verse has nothing to do with grief. The idea that God will not put more on you than you can bear has traveled through the theological world where it really can't live. Writer Harriet Sarnoff Schiff has distilled her pain and tragedy in a book called The Bereaved Parent. When her young son died, listen to this, when her young son died during an operation to correct a congenital heart malfunction, her preacher took her aside and said, I know that this is a painful time for you, but I know that you will get through it all right because God never sends us more of a burden than we can bear. God only let this happen to you because He knows that you are strong enough to handle it. She looked at that pastor, drew the logical conclusion. So, if only I were a weaker person, Robbie would still be alive. I sat in the stairwell with a dad who's 24 months, no, it's 26 month old child was dying of spinal meningitis. And at 3 in the morning, he looked at me and he said, Preacher, now I was a whopping 23 years old. I had so much wisdom and experience. Sometimes life gets you to grow up fast, doesn't it? He looked at me and said, Preacher, what have I done wrong that God's going to take my baby? I had nothing. I had nothing. The only thing that came to my heart to say to him was, you of all people right now understood, understand how our Heavenly Father felt the day Jesus died. You understand it. I don't understand it. But you do. Every pastor and mature Christian learns sooner or later that there are times when the best thing that we can do is just simply say nothing and cry together. Cry together. Job 2.13 tells of some friends. It says, Set on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Sometimes that's all you need to do is just be there. Say nothing, just be there. Amen? Yeah. Number four, is it teachable? Job eventually would be able to pass along his lessons learned to generations that follow, but the counsel he received from his friends was simply not teachable. 
Job chapter 4 and verse 6. Should not your piety be more comp- be your confidence, said one friend, and your blameless ways, your hope? Job had tried that route. It hadn't worked. He followed the law to the letter and even surpassed it. God bragged on him in chapter 1. His reward, a, suffer- a season of suffering that had destroyed any foundation of hope and confidence that he had in his own ability. Job would eventually pass on what he learned from Pass on what he learned from God. His personal encounter with the Lord proved to be a turning point for Job. That understanding was very teachable. Job's faith in God is what we remember today some 30 centuries later. Trey is more valuable to the kingdom because he's gone through a dark time and come out on the other side you want to whip something in life it's right here that's what I tell young people they're having trouble with their dating life take this with you girls especially carry it with you the family one so it's huge (laughs) when you go get in the car carry this with you and when that boy gets that arm up around you in the car and that thing's sitting between you and him it's going to give enough distance between you. That's good. You should be in your seatbelt anyway. But when he gets to thinking things he ain't supposed to think, your four brothers can show up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then if he still doesn't catch on, pick up that Bible. Open to the 20th chapter of Revelation. You don't want to hear about them plagues. <laughs> yeah. you don't to... That's a good spot to start. Or you can go to 7 and talk about the seals, and he, he'll put you out of the car. Take your Bible and get out and call your dad. He'll come get you. God bless you. If he won't come get you, call me. I'll come get you. You, got, you know what I'm talking about. This is a powerful book, isn't it? Powerful book. So it's funny. People today are so afraid of this book. But it'll give us great counsel. Is the is the counsel teachable? Number five, does it acknowledge the imperfections of human counsel? Not once in the book of Job do any of the counsel givers leave the door open for possible error. Chapter four, verse eight, I've observed it, said one. We've examined it, said another, and it is true. Five in, in, in verse twenty, chapter five, verse twenty seven. A younger man held his tongue until his older companions were tired out from the advice giving. Job chapter 32, Elihu starts talking. He seems more confident than all the rest combined. And there are some points when one of the wisest counsels given is simply the acknowledgement that we may not ever know the answer to a question. The wise of life will hound you and astound you and drive you into depression. It's at the why... That you lean on Jesus. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I know that I know that I know that our God is able. I don't know why. I don't know why people abuse each other. I don't know why people say hateful things to each other. I don't know why people get nasty and, 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 and hurt each other. I don't know. I got a, an email from uh, uh, 
Scott's mom and dear friends of, of theirs down in College Station. Their children are at College Station at Texas A&M University. 123, 121. The girl at 21 had been dating some young man. Went berserk. Walks into the house and nobody knows the whole story, but he kills both of those young people. Just Friday. Shot them dead right there. The boy died there. The girl died on the operating table at the hospital. And the boy that shot them, after he finished shooting them, he called 911 and he sat down on the front porch and waited for the police to come get him. Is that a why? Why? we got to lean on Jesus, don't we? When we pray and, and, and that answer doesn't come the way we've been praying for it to come, you got to lean on Jesus. Right? Are you with me? John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said, or, or, or they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This when the disciples were walking among the streets and of Jerusalem and they they joined in the debate that rang out of the wisest debates in the city that were overflowing with theological discourses and through their discussions it seemed highly intellectual that Jesus treated it as foolish talk all the human counsel that Job struggled with in the previous 35 chapters dissolved into meaningless chatter once God appears you see, when people are giving you advice and you pull out the Word of God, it counters everything they're saying. Unless it parallels this, right? It pales. It can't even get them there. And Jesus was saying in John 9, 1, you've missed the point entirely. You were on the wrong track. You're debating something that has nothing to do with this man's physical condition. It has happened so God can be glorified. <coughs> Pray is now a greater testimony of the power of God's deliverance than he would have been when he had the bottle in his hand. You know, you know, you grew up. I grew up this way. My dad would say, boy, I sure don't want you drinking while he's drinking. My mother said, you need, don't need to smoke while she's smoking. Are you with me? See, we come up here, we're, we're these righteous pie. We don't have it anymore. We used to in our church years ago. We'd have women... It used to be men that would, you know, in between Sunday school and church, they'd run out to the corner and take a, take a quick smoke. You know, we had a lot of women that did that. It was funny. Boy, they'd all pull each other together because they felt guilty. They didn't want to go by themselves. It's like going to the bathroom. They never go to the bathroom by themselves. You know what I'm You get a guy say, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. The other guys go, okay, I'll go with you. <laughs> I mean, a woman says, I'm going to the bathroom. 20 of them, you know, it's a life in the herd. Here they go. Uh, just, that's, a, that's, that's a free one. You can use that later. Is it biblical, factual, necessary, teachable, acknowledge, acknowledging human perfection? And then lastly, is it spoken in love? Talking of human, human advice. There's long-running dialogues between Job and his friends. Becomes more and more heated as the men struggle with the question of suffering. Bildad. Another friend takes a cheap shot at Job's children. I love this. Chapter 8, verse 4. When your children sinned against God, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So now it's because He had worthless children that He's going through what He's going through. See, children use that as an excuse. Boy, my parents. 
don't they? You got people at work that that, that, that don't work. Why do they why don't they work? Well, it's called well, my dad he was lazy, and so they kind of walk around like this all the time because they're lazy. Unless you take them to the casino, woo man, never seen anybody move faster than that in my life. Goodness, ching ching ching, twenty ching 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 ching. Oh, we're at the car table. Well, they're building a big one right down the road. It's going to be nice, isn't it? I can't wait for the buffet to open in there. <laughs> Best eating places are the bars or the casino. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Prices are good, too. So when you see me coming out of the casino, don't mess up here. Be looking for the gravy running out of this side over here. If advice given is factual, biblical, and necessary, it will never be it, it will need never be heeded if it's not given in love. Paul urged the early church in Ephesus in chapter four and verse fourteen of Ephesians to speak the truth in love. He said also in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that if I give a bunch of advice and I sound really wonderful and I have the voice of an angel, but I do it without love. And just like an old clanging cymbal. Worship team's going to come help me close. Is it biblical, factual, necessary, teachable? Does it acknowledge human imperfection? And then sixthly, is it spoken in love? When people are hurting, they long for answers more than ever before. But at exactly that point, it's at that point the answers are harder to come by than ever before. In fact, some of the answers never come. But there is, however, an answer. For seven years, Terry Anderson was held as a hostage of Shiite Muslim fundamentalists. He was a former reporter for the Associated Press, and he had been taken captive and was held as a political prisoner. And for seven terrible years, he was moved from location to location hidden successfully, sentenced to horrible loneliness. Before he was taken as a hostage, however, Anderson had given much thought to the matters of faith. While he was in prison, he was allowed to have a Bible. Constantly over the years, he says, I found consolation and counsel in the Bible that I was given in the first few weeks. He goes on to say, not other world, this is just a test kind of consolation, but comfort from the real, immediate voices of people who had suffered greatly in ways that seemed so close to what I was going through. I read the Bible more than 50 times, cover to cover, in those first few years. Lord Jesus, we ask you today, as we sing a song of surrender that we become serious about. We're all addicted to something. Some addictions have more dire consequences. But we're all addicted to something. And the most prolific thing that we're addicted to is that face of we think that face in the mirror deserves something that sometimes we don't have. 
God, the only thing I deserve is hell. That's all I deserve. Because of the sin in my life and my unrepentant heart and my stiff-necked pride. Lord, I need to humble myself and pray and seek your face. Your promise is if I'll do that, you'll hear my prayer and you'll heal, heal my land. God, today, would folks who are givers of advice measure that advice and share that advice based on your word. Those who are receivers of advice filter that advice through the power of your word. Lord, today there might be somebody here that just needs to cry out to you. If they do, would you help them?